All right, guys, what I'd like you to do is I'd like you to turn in your Bibles to John, the Gospel of John, the very last chapter, chapter 21. We are at the end. We started this study um, a little more than a year ago, going through the Gospel of John, and our whole purpose was to get to know Jesus. We wanted to get to know Jesus more intimately, more than just having a doctrinal understanding of who Jesus is. We wanted to see how Jesus interacted with others and how Jesus, what he felt about things and about what he felt about people and how he dealt with people. And as we we went through that, we saw a lot of other things. We saw how people reacted to Jesus. We also saw things about ourselves. And so today... I'm going to do the whole chapter in one message. Chapter 21 really can only be down to one message because I'll be honest with you, and I thought, man, what a way to end the gospel because it really is a great way for us to end this series because we've been wanting to get to know Jesus. And so as we've gone through the gospel, you can know a lot about Jesus. You can know about how much he's the Lord and how much he has shown himself to be God, that he can handle anything, that he heals that he provides, that he loves, and he rebukes the religious, the unbelieving. But it all comes down to, I think, this one chapter and how he deals with us. Now, why is that important? Well, here's what I realize, because I know I do it, okay? You can know a lot about Jesus. And you can know that he loves you and that he, that he d- will do anything for you as long as you're seeking after him. And you can know all that, but all of that be overshadowed. All of that being pushed away because of your failure, your defeat, your sin. I mean, you can know that God loves you. You can know that he forgives. But, and, and let's be honest, in the, when it's the rubber meets the road of your everyday lives, what is even more impressing on you is the regret, the shame, and the guilt of who you are. And sometimes we don't like what we see when we look in a mirror. And that's a natural outcome of being with Jesus, isn't it? Remember, I told you our our whole purpose was to meet Jesus by going through this gospel. And what ended up happening is, is we found out a lot about ourselves. And sometimes when we find out about ourselves, it's not really good. But I'm here to communicate to you that what we're going to see in this chapter is, is that we're going to see one more dimension of who he is. We're going to see one more aspect of who Jesus is that I think is very, very important for you and I to grasp. And that is, he gives second chances. Well, I've already been seeking my second chance, George. I'm on the hundredth chance. Well, he gives a hundred chances, remember? Remember? 
How many times do I forgive? Seven times, Peter said, thinking he was really being spiritual. And he said, 70 times seven. What we see about grace and mercy is, is that it's overflowing. And he gives second chances here. And we're going to see it illustrated through, I think, really, John, when he writes this, he picks the perfect guy to illustrate it with Peter. Remember Peter? Jesus, I'll die for you. All these others will run away, but I'll be there for you, Jesus. Get to the garden, whips out a sword, cuts off some dude's ear. But then a little girl in the courtyard of the high priest says, aren't you one of those followers of him? I never knew him. Three times he denies him. Peter. And when Jesus is resurrected, and we've seen already in chapter 20, Peter knows he's resurrected. He goes to the empty tomb. He sees the evidence of that. Jesus appears in their midst to the 11. And of course, Jesus knows he's alive. How do you think he's feeling? I think we understand, right? I mean, I, I, I can relate to that. I remember as a kid growing up in the Cannon household, whenever I did something dumb, and I did do things that were dumb, and, and I would get the, the heavy, the hammer would drop on George, and, and I would just kind of live in a state of perpetual sheepishness around my family for at least a few weeks or months until it kind of blew over until the next dumb thing that I did, right? And there was this kind of this embarrassment thing because you're carrying this guilt, this shame, right? We understand how Peter is, right? But what I want you to see today as we look at this passage is, is that God comes into the midst of that and he communicates second chances. So notice with me. We're going to look at John chapter 21. Notice what John writes. After these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias, and in this way he showed himself. Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. And they said to him, We are going with you also. And they went out and immediately got into the boat. And that night they caught nothing. But when the morning had now come, Jesus stood on the shore, and yet the disciples did not know if, that it was Jesus. And Jesus said to them, Children, have you any food? And they answered him, No. And he said to them, Cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. So they cast, and now they were not able to draw it in because of the multitude of fish. Therefore the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It is the Lord. Now when Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, 
for he had removed it and plunged into the sea. But the other disciples came in a little boat, for they were not far from land, but about 200 cubits, dragging the net with fish. Then as soon as they had come to the land, they saw a fire with coals there, fish laid on it, and bread. And Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish which you have caught. Simon Peter went up and dragged the net to the land, full of large fish, 153, although there were so many, the net was not broken. Jesus said to them, Come and eat breakfast. Yet none of them dared ask him, Who are you? Knowing that it was the Lord. Jesus then came and took the bread and gave it to them, likewise the fish. Now, this is the third time that Jesus showed himself to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. So when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Feed my lambs. Then he said to them again, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? And he said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, Tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he had said it the third time. Do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Most assuredly, I say to you that when you are younger, you will gird yourself and walk where you wished. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will gird you and carry you where you do not wish. This he spoke, signifying by what death he would glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said to him, follow me. Then Peter, turning around, saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following, who was also leaned on his breast at the supper and said, Lord, who is the one who betrays you? Peter, seeing him, said to Jesus, but Lord, what about this man? Jesus said to him, if I will that he remain till I come, what is that to you? You follow me. Then this saying went out among the brethren that the disciple would not die. Yet Jesus did not say to him that he would not die. If, I would remain, if he will that he remain till I come, what is that to you? This is the disciple who testifies of these things and wrote these things. And we know that his testimony is true. And there are also many other things that Jesus did, which if they were written one by one, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. Amen. All right, folks, let's take a look at this. I'm going to divide it into three sections. I'm going to talk about Peter first. And as we talk about Peter, here's what I want you to do. I want you to relate. Peter's not just somebody else that we're reading about. Peter, to be honest with you, is like you and I. 
It's like us. And then I want you to see Jesus. I want you to see who we're, this is why we're going through the gospel, right, is to meet him. I want you to see Jesus. And then we're going to talk about the future. Implications that he says for Peter and for John, that's whom the disciple, the disciple whom Jesus loved is John. But it also has implications for you and I. So let's talk about it. First of all, Peter. First thing I want you to notice is this. Defeat usually causes us to revert back to what we know. Defeat usually causes us to revert back to what we know. So here he is. He gave up everything. He gave up his fishing business. He followed Jesus for three years. He gets to this crisis moment and he folds. He buckles. He denies Jesus three times. But yet Jesus is Jesus, right? He's alive. He's God. He, he raises from the dead. He's resurrected. Talk about feeling sheepish, right? Talk about feeling defeated. Talk about, oh my goodness. But now, he's carrying the guilt and the shame. So what do you do? Well, usually what happens with us is, is that we feel like, well, there's nothing more I can do. I've totally messed up. I've totally screwed up. I need to go find something else to do. So what does he do? He goes back to what he knows. What does he know? Fishing. The three years were a dream. The three years were the hope of something new. And so when that disappears because of not Jesus, but because of himself, he goes fishing. And the others say, okay, we'll go with you. See, that's our tendency. Defeat usually causes us to revert back to what we know. Hope is crushed. Future plans are defeated and gone. Because we believe we've totally messed up. And nothing can change that. Here's the second thing I want you to see. You can't get away from your calling. You can't get away from your calling. When you read this story, now notice this is John writing. It echoes another story that's recorded in the Gospel of Luke, in the fifth chapter, verses 3 through 10. It'll be up on the screen. Let me read it to you. This is when Peter was called, okay? Then he got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, and asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the multitude from the boat. When he had stopped speaking, he said to Simon, launch out into the deep and let your nets down for a catch. But Simon answered and said to him, Master, we've toiled all night and caught nothing. Sound familiar? Nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the net. And when he had done this, they caught a great number of fish. Sound familiar? And their net was breaking. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. They came and filled both boats so that they began to sink. Man, that's a lot of fish, isn't it? When Simon Peter saw this, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Depart from me, for I'm a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. 
And so also were James and John, the son of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid. From now on, you'll catch men. Now think about this. When you read chapter 20 of John, does it sound familiar? Does it, does it sound familiar? Peter can't get away from his calling. God won't let him get away from his calling. When the first meeting, I mean, listen, Jesus didn't even say anything to Peter. He just told him, cast your net over here. And they did. It was a big catch. He realized, man, this is God. I'm a sinner. Get away from me, Jesus. And Jesus says, don't, don't worry. You're going to catch men from now on. And, and Jesus comes to him again. You can't get away from your calling. And what I see here is another amazing thing. So here it is. They catch this big load of fish, and, and the disciple whom Jesus loved is next to him, and he says, it is the Lord. Like, yeah, really? I mean, you should figure out that's got to be Jesus. Big catch of fish, all right, got to be Jesus. What blows my mind is, this is what Peter does, okay? So he's stripped down, he's a fisherman, he, does what he, he doesn't want to wear his clothes. He puts his clothes back on, and then what does he do? Jumps into the lake to swim to shore. Why? Because he loves Jesus. He loves Jesus. And here's my point. In spite of the defeat, there is still a great love for Jesus. Okay, I want you to listen to me. Some of you need to hear me this morning when I say this, okay? Okay, yes. I know the regrets are big. The shame is real. The guilt is overwhelming. But that's not the same thing as loving Jesus. And what I find is, and I've dealt with a lot of people over the years, and I've dealt with myself, is that when you are defeated, it doesn't erase the love that you have for Jesus. Do you understand what I'm saying? The love is still there. So here's Peter. He's like, I'm going fishing. He's defeated. He's, he's carrying the guilt of what he's done. I mean, talk about it. We're not just talking about something he did in secret. I mean, he was like, everybody else is going to forsake you, but I'll be there. I'll die for you, Jesus. And Jesus says, really? Really, you'll die for me, Peter? Before this night ends, you're going to deny me three times. And guess what? Before the night ends, what does he do? Denies him three times. But yet that doesn't, that shame, that guilt, that sin, that, that doing wrong doesn't eliminate the love that Peter has for who? For Jesus. That's Peter. Now let's talk about Jesus. And that's what we are here for, right? We're here to talk about Jesus because we know about ourselves, right? Here's Jesus. This is what blows my mind, okay? First thing I want you to see is this. Is this, is that Jesus singled out Peter. He singled him out. So Jesus shows up. First of all, that's amazing. He shows up. 
hey, you guys got any food? You got, got a catch? No, no, cast it over on this side, catch something. Then he says, come have breakfast when they come to the shore with this big net of fish. And after they had eaten, then he looks and he singles him out. Look with me at verse 15. So when they had taken, eaten breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? So he's singling him out. He's taking the initiative. He's, he's hitting it head on. He singles him out. The very thing that Peter would like to be for, have forgotten. And isn't that true? Isn't that like, ever been around somebody you hurt or you've done wrong to, even if it's unintentional? The, the reality is that when you're with them, you would like for that issue or whatever it was never to be brought up again. You don't want anybody to ever acknowledge it again. You would just like for that whole issue to disappear. Can we just get on with life? And, and, and that's the way we are as human beings. And so here's, here's Peter. I mean, he's got to be walking on eggshells the whole time he's around Jesus. Because, I mean, Jesus, he, he, Jesus said what would happen. Of course, it happened. To Peter's shame. And he just kind of wants to blend in, right? And, and Jesus singles him out and asks him a big question. Hey, do you love me more than these? Now, think about that question. That is an ironic question because just a few chapters before when they're in the upper room, Jesus is being told by Peter, I'll never, more than any of these, I'll never betray you, right? I'll be with you to the end. I'll die for you. So Jesus is asking a question that really has some meaning here. He singles him out. Here's the second thing I want you to see here. And that is this, that Jesus addresses the failure. He addresses the failure. Now, how does he do that? He does it subtly. In fact, at first, Peter doesn't even get it. At first, Peter is just thinking, he's just asking a question. Simon, do you love me more than these? Yeah, yeah, you know, you know I love, you know, you know that, Jesus. Feed my sheep. Second time. Peter doesn't even get it the second time. Simon, do you, do you love me more than these? Third time, boom, clues in. Why? Three denials, right? Jesus addresses the failure. Okay, so let's stop for a moment because some of you got to hear me on this one, okay? I, I remember as a kid getting in trouble and I can remember I, it was this middle school in Columbia, South Carolina. Uh, I forgot the name of the school, but I know where it is. And getting in trouble, I do remember this. Getting in trouble for being a jerk, stupid kid in class and getting sent to the principal's office, okay? And going in there, and that's a, I'm walking in there terrified because we had this older principal who was, I mean, this was back in the early 70s and, and, uh, and I was terrified. And, and when I walked in there, it was like, young man, you know, this type of thing. And, 
and you're like, ah, you know, and uh, that's, our, that's our concept of, sometimes we think God's like that with us. It's like being sent to the principal's office. And in those days, it was in the days when they could still paddle you, and on the principal's desk was the board that was wrapped with, uh, like, uh, tape around the end and had holes in it. And, 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 like, why are the holes? Well, there's no wind resistance when it's swinging, okay, when there's holes in it. You know what I'm saying? And, and that, he, he leaves it out there so it's to kind of commu- more to communicate something than necessarily be used, right? And so we, we sometimes have this concept of God that way, right? But you need to hear me today. That is not Jesus. He doesn't come to Peter and he says, I told you so. Look with me, it's not in the passage. Didn't I tell you? You thought you were strong, Peter. I told you before the night's over, guess what you're going to do? Don't second guess me. Did he do that? Look at the whole approach that he took. It's love. It's love. And he's subtle. To the point where Peter comes to the realization himself, he's talking to me in the midst of my problem here. And so he responds the way he did. Jesus, you know that I love you. You know everything. Jesus addresses the failure. And here's what I want you to see what he does. Jesus redeems and restores Peter. He redeems and restores Peter. See, this is, this is can I be honest with you? I, I, I'm, you know, so I've been a pastor now for pushing towards 30 years, okay? So, yeah, this year will be 30 years I've been ordained. This July will be 30 years I've been ordained been involved in ministry over 30 years. I've interacted with people all the time and I've been in church. And church, can I be can I just be honest with you, can be wonderful. If if uh, at a certain time it can be wonderful in church, the the feeling and family and the community and seeing God working in a church, but then there are other times when church can be horrible and hurtful. And some of the times when it's hurtful is in how we address people in their sins when they've done wrong and, uh, and so forth. And we, we kind of are like the principal with the board, right? And, and so we sometimes think that that's the way God is. But listen, I'll, I'll be honest with you. God, when he approaches the issue of dealing with people in their sins, his purpose is to do two things, is to redeem them and restore them. Do you understand what I'm saying? It's to redeem them and restore them. Because listen to me, if his purpose was to squash them, he could do that instantly. But that's not who he is. Because he died for you. And so he comes to Peter in a loving way He says to Peter, do you love me? 
three times to get Peter to affirm and to acknowledge, God, you know everything, which is basically Peter saying, I was wrong. And guess what he does? He tells Peter, okay, well, I've got this for you to do. I've got this for you to do. That's restoring him back to his purpose. So listen, some of you, you you are carrying a defeat. You're carrying some regret of something that has happened. And, And you're like, yeah, I know I'm forgiven. But yet you just feel like there's nothing you can do anymore. You are tainted. You are like a redheaded stepchild that can't do right by anybody. But that's not how God works. That's not how God works. God still has a purpose and a plan. He's, he's, you are his workmanship, Ephesians 2.10 says. Created for good works. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord and he delights in them. Though he yet stumble, he'll not be utterly cast down for the Lord upholds him with his hand. Psalm 37. He redeems and he restores. And that's what we see here. But it doesn't just end there. He's just not the God of second chances. He's also the God of the future. What do you mean? Well, look at what happens. So he goes on a little bit further in verse 18. He, he kind of prophesies to Peter concerning his future. Look with me at verse 18. Most assuredly, I say to you, when you were younger, you girded yourself and walked where you wished. Isn't that true for all of us? When we were young, we just did whatever we wanted. But when you're old, you will stretch out your hands and another will gird you and carry you where you do not wish. This he spoke, signifying by what death he would glorify God. And then he, when he had spoken, he said to him, follow me. He said, when you were young, you could do whatever you want. But when you're older, somebody's going to stretch out your hands. That's a euphemism for the fact that he's going to die on a cross. And we know from church history that he did. But Peter, Peter's just like you and me, okay? Have you noticed, we don't just worry about ourselves. Our tendency is to worry about others. So, okay, Lord, uh, Peter says, okay, but what about John? What's happening with John? And Jesus speaks up and says, look, if I want him to live forever until I come again, what's that any of your business? You focus on what you need to focus on. That's the George Cannon paraphrase. Okay? So here's two things I want you to see. Number one is this. He lays out the unique path of his disciples. All right, so this is why he's the God of second chances, folks. Listen to me. This is why he comes to Peter and he restores Peter. This is why he comes to you and I and he restores us from our sin. He has laid out for you, 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 your unique path in this life. It's not my path, it's your path. You are his workmanship created for good works. Do you understand what I'm saying? So he says to Peter, 
When you were younger, you could go do whatever you want, but when you're older, this is how you're going to die. Peter's like, well, what about John? What's going to happen with him? Hey, look, if he'll live forever, if I want him to, but you just mind your own business. Why? Your path is your path. Well, you know, that's great, George, but I screwed up. I messed up, George. I, I've got this failure. Look, you're not, you're not, you're missing it. It's going over your head. Don't try to catch it. Get a glove out. Catch it. Listen to what he's saying. He's the God of second chances. He, he's the God who gives and restores and redeems. And he reaffirms that the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. So you've got this unique path. He delights in it. Though he yet stumble, he'll not be utterly cast down, for the Lord upholds him with his hand. God's plan includes, you ready for this? Your mess-ups. Your mess-ups. Why? Because he's got a unique plan for you. So aren't you glad he gives second chances? So that brings me to the next point. Jesus calls us to focus on our path, not someone else's. That's what he calls us to. Don't worry about, well, you know, God, I, you know, I, I'll, I'll do whatever you ask me to do, but man, why is it going so much better for him or for her? And, uh, and God's like, will you quit looking at them? You just focus on what I want you to do. Focus on me and what I want you to do, Jesus says. Quit comparing yourself. Can I be honest with you? It's kind of like some kind of torture thing we all put ourselves through. We really spend an awful lot of time comparing ourselves. Comparing, comparing, comparing. Man, it was, it's a deadly thing for a pastor. And we're coming up on 30 years, I think through the years, how many times I thought, man, why, why can't I be in prayer time? Why can't I be like so-and-so, Lord? Why? And then you find out a little bit later, so-and-so is a mess. And so-and-so screws up in a big way. And you're like, man, thank goodness I wasn't so-and-so. But there was a time when I wondered why I couldn't be like so-and-so. Do you understand what I'm saying? And God says to me in those moments, look, can't you get it through your head? I want you to focus on what I want you to do. Quit comparing yourself. Their path is unique. Yours is unique as well. Keep moving forward. Okay, so here we are. We're at the end of the gospel. And here's my hope. My hope is that as we have gone through John, you have been introduced to the greatest man who ever lived. But he wasn't just a man. He was God. who deeply loves you, who cares for you and continues to care for you, who interacts in your life so much so that while he's away, he sent somebody else just like him, the Holy Spirit, to minister to your life, to bring you to the place that you need to be. And yes, he is not shocked by your humanity. What do I mean by that? He's not sitting next to the Father saying, 
Father, did you see what they just did? I, I never thought they would act that way. No, he knows. You're human. Why do you think he sits on the right hand of the Father interceding for us? Because you're human. And what does he want? To redeem and restore you. Why? So you can continue on and do what he wants you to do. I hope you'll think about that. Let me pray for you.